0: Good to see, Bolkins, man. Good to have you guys back in the house, and uh, we love you guys. It's been a obviously a tough week for for many. Continue to pray for Betty, as uh, of course she's bereaved, as we all are, at the passing of of Gwaine. But of course, uh, Betty uh, Betty Arneus is, is, uh, is this is a tough time, really, after kind of everything's over. So be praying for Betty this week. Uh, this morning, as we come to the Word of God, we're get, we're going to begin a sermon series called reflecting on reality and we've been going through this this uh, season of looking at isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3 and talking about how perfect peace comes who's, uh, to those whose minds are stayed on the lord and and looking at that passage in isaiah and i didn't really get to it in my sermon series that passage uh, ends in isaiah 26 with the lord's return at the second coming of christ and uh and i tell you what that is the the hope and the promise that we have but in the, between then Right? We have to be focused on what our job and our mission is. And I talked to you about different ways to measure that. And I tell you, Gary's sermon uh, a couple weeks ago uh, on is, was just fitly, a word fitly spoken in regard to where we need to go. Uh, part of what we're doing this year is evaluating how we've been doing. Uh, one of my tasks here uh, is to uh, plan the next seven years uh, coming up here. Uh, after twenty twenty two and i 'll be doing that this summer i'm not there yet, but obviously i'm thinking about it i'm meditating on it sonia it's good to have you in the house too and we've been praying for you so it's good to see Sonia again too yeah amen and so uh we've we've been we've been uh we're getting ready for you know another cycle of uh, ministry and it really is sort of like a time of rest we're coming out of covid uh things are kind of placid we're getting ministries going of course we're very busy this year. Uh, but that's exciting. We're, we're doing what we've, we've always been doing, which is serving the Lord. We're making disciples. Talked about all of those things, uh, but I'm really, it's also a time where I just reflect and look at um, not only what we're doing, because we can get busy. James was talking about getting busy doing stuff, but it's really who we are, right? Who are we? Are we who God has saved us to be so we can accomplish that which God has saved us to accomplish? Now, that's a personal question that we should all be asking ourselves. That's actually in our discipleship lessons, isn't it? For those of you who have been, been in D1, right, one of the things that we talk about is knowing in God's will, knowing who God wants you to be, uh, so you can do that which God wants you to do. God is infinitely more interested in who you are than what you do. And when you figure out who you are in Christ, He will then reveal to you what you need to do. Uh, and of course there's things to do. There's more to do than we can shake a stick at. We're praying the Lord of the harvest to send forth labors. Uh, but the in, at the end of the day, We've really got to look and, and, and reflect on who we are and when you think about times of peace, uh, the image I used uh, for the last uh, sermon series on perfect Peace was a guy kind of touching the water the water's real placid and placid and reflective, and the image we're using now, of course, you can see those trees reflecting off the water and when water's at peace, when things are at peace, you can see that reflection like a glass you can you can look into that and, and see a little bit more clearly what's going on and I want to take this time and just enter into a sermon series. Today's going to be the introduction. I'll get into the meat and potatoes in the weeks to come and just kind of set us up and and allow us to measure. Now, uh, in in, in regard to seeing who we really are and and where God has taken us, so uh, a part of what we're doing this year in this evaluation process is just seeing how, how faithful we've been to the call as individuals, but also as a church, right? So just like we as individuals need to understand God's made us to be, so we individually can accomplish that which we are called to accomplish. that's primarily how mostly Odysseians think right because it's all about the the rights of the people right now, and people are about oftentimes about themselves. but for us, as Gary pointed out, every member of the body is so important right, and it's not just about what God has called you individually to do. It doesn't really work like that in the context of Christ. if you're a new believer, I know when I was a young Christian I really it really was all about me. I'll, I could, when I saw the Great Commission, I didn't think about the local church. I didn't think about, I didn't think about discipleship. It took me a few years, actually, even knowing, even going through Discipleship One, and even actually, even kind of starting to grasp uh, the seven stages of discipleship. It still took me a few years to get to that point where I realized that my connection to the body of Christ was intricately, it was, it was in, it was part of being able to fulfill God's mission, and without the body of Christ you're going nowhere in God's will. You've got to be plugged into the body of Christ. Now, that's not the message you're going to get today from contemporary Christianity. You can flip on K-Love or whatever Christian programming you want to dial up on the internet or whatever, and you can have this like pseudo-Christian experience in this world today, um, and, and it'll feel pretty good, and, and you might even get some things done for God, especially evangelism can get done in that aspect, so I'm not knocking all of that. But if you really want to get traction with God, and accomplish his mission it's going to be through the local new testament church uh, because that's where the the structure that's where the authority comes from not from me but from this book from the word of god and what god has called us to do and gary did a great job uh, of taking this cow of all things which is perfect illustration for this part of the i mean we're literally in a cow field right here uh, he takes this cow and he just tears it apart how many of you remember that message how many were here that most of you man if you missed that one you need to go back and watch that again online. That was a really good message. And he just took 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and he just lays it out. A passage most of us probably know. But boy, he just did a good job of illustrating how important every member of the body is. Right? Every member in particular is part of what God is doing. And, and that's so important to us really accomplishing that which God would have us to accomplish. Uh, the last message that he preached from 1 Corinthians 12 was very valuable. Uh, not only to the church as a whole, but to individuals in the church, to know that whatever it is that God is calling you to do is important to the overall forward thrust of the body. And so that was the the perfect message to set us up for this current sermon series, as we'll be examining what I've called the seven realities of HBF. Uh, <clears throat> now, I introduced the seven realities in 2006. Just raise your hand. If you were here in 2006, I just was curious. So there's a handful of us. Um, and uh, there's a lot of you that weren't here in 2006, and and so in 2006, I realized that I had not preached this on a Sunday morning since 2006. <laughs> I was like, whoa, as I was reflecting and, and thinking about, you know, the years to come and how important this really is in, in the DNA of HBF, I thought, wow, that's amazing. Now, I will say that in 2013, um, which, you know, by the way, 2006 was 16 years ago, so Um, my daughter's almost 16. I mean, that's a long, not that she's getting old, but that was a long time ago. Where is she? I don't know. She, she's skip out on me. There she is. All right. All the fingers are pointing. All right. I'm just saying, but anyway, that's a long time ago. And 2013, uh, 2013, I I rolled it out in a one message on a Sunday morning like this. I I took all seven, uh, Um, realities, and I just preached them in one message, boom, and just hit them all, which is good, I should do that every so often anyway, and I hit it on one, and that was 2013, so I was thinking, I thought, well, that's okay, because I did this on Sunday night, I did the whole, I went through the whole seven on Sunday night, and that was just a couple years ago, but you know what I realized? It was six years ago, I know, I couldn't believe that, I'm like, six years ago, I couldn't believe that much, I mean, time is, you know, I feel like time is just flying, it is flying by. And, uh, and so I took some time about, uh, you know, six years ago in 2016, and uh, I ran through these links. So that was on a Wednesday night. Not everybody uh, was here. But just curious, how, and in every Next Steps meeting, I, I kind of just gloss over them quickly, and I keep moving on. Uh, how many, anyone here, um, and this is, let me do the positive. How many of you here have heard, at least heard of the, the seven realities of HBF? Because this is for me. I'm just kind of curious. I'd say 50% or 45% maybe. Okay, well, good. So this is going to be a good series. You need to hear what I'm about to say because it's a part of, of who we are as a church. And, uh, and whether you know it or not, it guides, it ties in with those seven stages of spiritual growth, and it really guides me as your pastor and us as we process through the time that we have left on the planet before the Lord comes. And so it's important that you kind of have an idea. And so I hope that, it, especially if you're new, this helps get you some anchors uh, to really this the body so you feel connected and you can get some direction on uh, on where you're going within the context of this this local New testament church in particular and so um and so I want to take some time and address this and if you were here in two thousand and six, you may have slept since then I will not be preaching exactly what I preached then anyway because there are some contrasts, and that's what I want to point out right now some contrast between twenty sixteen and twenty twenty two uh, I was going back and and uh, reflecting and it was really educational it was really edifying for me to go back and look at where I was as as your pastor and where this church was in 20 uh 2006 I should say I think I said 2016 2006 and look at where I was the church was only uh 4 years old you know uh, and to look at where we were not just at this church but also in society and culture I mean, a lot of things have changed, a remarkable amount in a very short time. And so Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 9 teaches us that there's nothing new under the sun. The Bible says there, The thing that hath been is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. Right? There's nothing that we're going to do or you're going to do that hadn't already been thought of. There's no new thing under the sun. Uh, yet, um, there are some things that have changed. One thing that hasn't changed, and I've asked you to turn to Hebrews 13, uh, and verse. I want to look down at verse 8, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8. I did neglect to tell you that if uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the seat rack in front of you. We're going to start off today on page 1,613. And for those of you that are looking for a handout for the notes, I've been providing those. I didn't do that today because I don't think it was appropriate. I'd rather you just kind of, this is an introductory message. I'll have all kinds of outlines for you in the next few weeks so you'll have if you're an outline type of person you'll have one uh coming to you but hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8 a very familiar passage perhaps to some maybe to others it's not but notice what it says it says um jesus christ the same yesterday today and forever jesus christ the same yesterday today and forever there's nothing new that jesus christ i mean jesus isn't going anywhere if you need an anchor this morning, you've got one in Christ, and this world needs an anchor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we continue on in this discussion of the seven realities and introducing this, this concept to Heartland Baptist Fellowship today in 2022, Lord, I pray, God, that you would speak, Lord, you would guide us, that you would help us to understand who we are so we can accomplish that, what you called us to do. Lord, we're very, very um, intentional about the knowing what the mission of God is. We're very intentional about all of those things here at HBF the great commission the great commandment lord the great invitation making sure that we are accomplishing those things on a perpetual basis but lord all of that's in vain if if it's not you that's doing it in and through us or we cannot do this in the flesh just like we can't get saved in the power of our flesh so father we come to you this morning and we pray God that you help clarify our thoughts lord help us to look at some of the things that have changed in our society but help us to remember that you are unchanging or you are the rock you are the anchor you are the the one that is going to set everything right and has already set everything right for those that have called upon you. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word. Lord, again, we pray for our sister Betty Arnie. Uh, Lord, we pray, God, for those that are hurting in our church body. And Lord, we're thankful for those that are uh, returning. And Lord, I pray, God, that you just continue to bless your people, your saints, uh, for your honor, for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're looking at this concept of of this, the seven realities. So God, even though God doesn't change, and our mission doesn't change, um, a lot has changed in 16 years in regard to our society. And uh, you know, I will tell you, in 16 years, I've changed. How about you? I mean, is your body the same today that it was 16 years ago? Uh, no. So, so some things remain the same. Jesus is the rock, and once upon a time, maybe I was a rock, but not anymore. You know. <laughs> That last, I think that went away when I was 17. So, uh, you know, those days are over, right? Your body changes, things change, and, uh, and we grow and we come, and become different. Not all bad, not all good, but, uh, but just like our physical body changes, and in 16 years, uh, yours has as well as mine, um, Heartland has changed. We've planted a couple churches. Uh, we've sent out a couple missionaries who've completed their cycles on the field. And uh, and and we're also in a place where we're looking forward now to the next generation of missionaries, kind of telling. So we got to be praying about fulfilling the mission of God. We have a few new obstacles. The world's changed. World government's changing, and we still have to accomplish the mission of God. I got all fired up in the midst of COVID, and I'm like, "We're going to go do missions if we got to get on a boat and paddle," you know. And I was serious about that because we got to accomplish the mission. Yet, just like you know, 15 years ago, before unbeknownst to me, more like 14 years ago. 13 years ago god's bringing people right here to our community i mean we have refugees coming once again to this community um, that we could reach unreached people groups coming right here to kansas city metro and we have opportunity to to reach them if we want to and so so god's given us uh some things have changed and some things haven't changed but god's really done a lot of work in our body since then and we of course once you've had a couple kids things change and, uh, and so we look a little different maybe than we did 16 years ago. But uh, 16 years ago, I was 35, and I blinked, and now I'm 51, going on 52, just like that. Our, tr- our church was in the midst of a building program, and uh, we just sent out uh, Harold and Tammy to Brazil. 16 years ago, Randy and Julie were on the field in Zambia. They were still in Zambia. And, uh, uh, and I tell you what, guys, a lot of things were different back then. As I look, this is good for me. I'm going down memory lane. But as I look back, I'm thinking, man, man, that, that have, God's done a good work in a in a really short amount of time. Back then, we had no Word First Bible Publishing Ministry. It wasn't until 2008, two years after I preached this initial ser- series that I'll be introducing, and then we'll be getting into. It was t- it was two years after that before we met uh, we met Pradeep Lima and in our inaugural visit to uh, India. And then, of course, Rajan later on in the trip in Nepal. And that, is, that changed our life. And Pastor Carl Silva and all those guys in India. I mean, that changed the course of my life personally, but it changed the course of Heartland's life. I, I bet in this room, many of us are personally impacted by all those things that God did through this church, right? It wasn't me or it wasn't just, just Doug. It wasn't Pastor Randy. It was all of us just doing our thing. And so many of us have cycled over and ministered on the ground, or we have given toward missions. We've seen God. Uh, there was no church plant movement through Pradeep Lima in 2006, and it was just getting started in 2008. It was it, it, it couldn't because there was persecution. You couldn't even get out of the house at, in uh, in Arissa in 2008 because people, the Christians, were hiding in the woods uh, and, uh, and and running for their lives, literally. And that's how that's why I even met Pradeep because the church was being persecuted. Now, when we get to the end of this, and you'll see one of the, the one of the things is we want to be part of real battles, and I don't mean like let's go to your you know Ukraine and pick up a gun, um, but we want to we understand that w- that there is real spiritual battles, uh, and so I want to be really clear on that for whoever's listening in the atmosphere. I'm not looking to do a paramilitary organization at Heartland, but we do definitely have a word, a sword, and we can definitely impact the world with the gospel. And where there is tension. There's traction, there's friction, there's traction, and we want to be there with the gospel. So Orissa was just like that in 2008. I knew that in my heart. I'm like, man, this place is a key place. Why? Because there is literal persecution. Since then, literal persecution has really grown since 2008. That was kind of an anomaly back then. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's always been religious persecution, but that was before ISIS. That was before mass martyrdoms. Uh, that was before a lot of the, there's been a, the church has been heavily persecuted since 2000, when I did this first sermon series, 2006. We were like living in la-la land in 2006, very peaceful compared to what's been going on for the last 16 years in regard to the activity of both the church and the devil. I mean, it's ratcheted up. There's definitely a collision course. And of course, we know in prophecy, that's what's coming. So, So my job today and and in the weeks ahead is to prepare y'all and myself uh, to continue in the things that we've been doing, knowing of whom we've learned them, and be ready to address the things that are coming in this culture and in this world, because our job is to be faithful stewards of the mission until we get home. We've got to do that. I've got to do that or I'm a failure as your pastor. And um, And so a lot of things have changed. But again, I want to emphasize, God has not changed. His Word has not changed, and we, by God's grace, will continue to hold fast to the faithful Word as we have been taught. Now, to give you a flavor, uh, a little bit more flavor of some contrasts of how things have changed, when I I introduced this sermon series uh, back in 2006, I kind of of based the illustration on reality television, (laughs) and I was looking back on that, reality television, right? I mean, television, who even... We don't even call televisions televisions. They're screens now. I mean, I mean it's just like reality television. That's old hat. As a matter of fact, I even said that in my message, that this is a fad. It'll pass. It's already come and gone. And, um, and it's been replaced, though, with something that's even uh, a little different. It's, it's called social media, which wasn't even available in any large degree in 2006 because people were still using flip phones in large part. Uh, but the world has changed dramatically in the way it communicates. Since that time, and uh, and if you're not gonna, if you don't feel old yet, you will probably before I'm done. Uh, And so, so uh, in 2006, we were we were still using those flip phones, and it wasn't until 2007, January 9th, that the iPhone, the first generation iPhone, was announced. In 2006, uh, we were five years removed from the terror attacks of 9/11, and we were in the midst, of course, what was a very long, protracted war on terror. So, in 16 years, we've gone from watching television programming, uh, reality television programming, uh, to starring in our own reality programming through social media. I mean, that's really the difference. People were vicariously living through this reality television uh, 16 years ago, but now we all get to live our own reality TV, anytime we want. We have these devices, we just turn them on and tell the world what's going on with us. I mean, it's unbelievable how much things have changed, just technologically, in that amount of time. Um, The way humans process information has changed dramatically in the past 16 years. A statement I made, again, at the introduction of the seven realities in 2006 was this, even though reality TV is a fad, reality Christianity is not. Hence the title of the seven realities sermon series. So though reality television is really no longer a thing to any large degree, the real authentic Bible-believing Christianity is still of great value in an increasingly relational cu- culture and i might even say dysfunctional when it comes to relationships what the church has and what we possess is real is the real thing so in lieu of the word reality even we could say authentic people are looking for authentic relationship and they can you can't find that through a device you can't find that through tender uh, i mean you can get a hookup but you can't get hooked up with jesus that way right you need you need you need you need people And you really need people that are connected to God. And that happens through the local New Testament church. And of course, the world, the flesh, and the devil are going to fight against that and continue to fight against that. But that is exactly what God intends for us. That's his will. Of course, we quoted that a lot. We know that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. It's increasingly important as we see the day coming and we see the day approaching, don't we? And so... um, I also made a statement in 2006, and I said this. There, is, there was a time in America when people believed in institutions. People actually had faith in institutions like the government. People had respect for places of higher learning. Even established companies were held in high regard. There was a time in the country when children actually believed in marriage. Now, I made that statement in 2006, and that was a, a good statement to make then. It's a great statement to make now. But again, as you look back on the last 16 years and you look at a positioning a local New Testament church in a way that can address those things, having confidence in an institution, institutions, back then there was a thing called the emergent church. How many you heard of the emergent church? Okay, a handful of you. That was the thing. That was on everyone's lips back, you know, 16 years ago. You'd have thought the whole world was going to, I've read books about it. I mean, it's like Christianity is going to change. You know what? The emergent church has come and it's already gone. You know what happened to the emergent church? turn into a business, right? The very thing that they were all keyed up about, all, all mad about the mega churches, all mad at the baby boomers. But what happened? The Gen Xers came out, wanted to be all real and raw and authentic. And next thing you know, they did the same thing all over again. Just a cycle. But the word of God has not changed. The ministry of making disciples has not changed. And what I said in 2006 is still true today. There, and it's even worse. Because back then, it was kind of a skeptical eye toward the government. Eh, that goes without saying. I mean, in America, we're raised that way. <laughs> That's a good thing. Uh, okay, we get that. It's part of our DNA. But even institutions, back in the day, man, you used to believe in higher education. Now people are like, ah, oh, not so much. Why? Well, because you can get on YouTube and find out about anything you want to know. Why would I pay that tuition? You know, let's go to trade school. Let's do something... <clears throat> real. <laughs> let's build something. Let's do something. Let's create something. That's, a, that's right, that right now in our culture. That's attention. It's attention. Is, is, is where, where are we going? Here? What are we creating? What are we doing? What are we building? Are we just going to be a service economy? I mean, how's this going to work forever? We, we, can't, we can't create anymore. And of course, there's not a more creative place on the planet than where you live. So knowing your own culture, creativity is a big part of it. In America, if you're not creating, you're not happy, because we are, we are, we, that's who we are as a nation. We're the most productive and most creative people uh, as a nation. And that, by the way, has nothing to do with your color of your skin or anything. It's, it's because we're free people from our I mean, we were a free people. And so freedom brings that. We have a freedom to think. That's why China and communist countries have to come and steal our ideas. Because it's hard to create this stuff. The greatest the greatest things come from this people group that was, and this is an eclectic people group, that comes from the freedom, that comes from the very gospel we're preaching. So the successes that are seen even in the business world and, and, and all these things economically, ultimately stem from generations of people's souls being freed through the gospel and people's lives being ordered and priorities being adjusted and people understanding that there's something that's a higher standard that will not change. It is the Word of God. It lasts forever and ever. All right, so, and so uh, 16 years ago, these were things that we were meditating on. So while that statement was very true and accurate, it's amazing to see how things have progressed in the past 16 years. In 2006, HBF composed a handful of, uh, of, uh, of members from what's called the greatest generation. And, uh, and so that generation was born between 1901 and 1927, we still have a few uh, hanging on from that generation. Um, and we had a larger number in the silent generation, and still do, 1928 to 1945. I'm not going to ask you to raise hands. And then there was the post-war uh, baby boomers, which is an even you know larger group from the 1946 to 64. Uh, my siblings fall into that category. I was not in that group. And then there's the Gen X group, which is the one I was born in, 1965 to 1980. And then, following that, was the millennials, born in 1981 through 1996. Now, when I was back in 2006, when I was preaching, that was the thing. Everybody was focused on the millennials, the millennials, the millennials. Now, I hate to tell you, if you're a millennial, you're like, you're old hat, man. They've already marketed to you. They're moving on to your kids. They're good. they're moving on to the kiddos. I saw a statistic. It's not in my notes, but it was, while I was researching all this, I saw a statistic. This guy, I mean, I, I found some incredible resources out there, by the way. just uh, I'm creating a bibliography of resources that you can go to if any of you are interested. But, uh, but this, this guy um, was bragging about how the world's almost, uh, you know, 100% digital. You know, it's, uh, they've got 5 billion people on on technology. We only got $3 billion to go, and everybody will have a device in their hand, and that'll just continue to make this economy, you know, roar. I'm just watching that going, wow, that's, I don't know if that's exciting or not. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more about that as we go. But um, there's a lot that's gone on. The millennials were that up-and-coming generation, but now Generation Z uh, is coming up. And back then, in 2006, it was an unknown quantity. And uh The oldest among them in 2006 was nine years old. And so today in 2022, that generation comprises 10 to 25-year-olds. And they look much different than millennials or the generations before them. So let me just give you an idea, just a sample. And this is definitely not a, this is just an idea, right? I'm sure there's variations. Uh, I got this from research docs. Um, But this is just a sample. The Gen Z has grown up in a world where the average 11-year-old has a cell phone with a data plan. Think about that. Some of you older folk, what would you have done with a cell phone with a data plan? Yeah. Gen Z spends an average of 3.33 hours of their day on a handheld device. That's not just a phone. That's also a tablet. So That's, a long, that's quite a bit of your day, 14%. Um, 57% go to bed with their phone next to their bed. 44% feel uncomfortable in the absence of their phone. <laughs> I'm like, my phone, where would it go? Oh, yeah. Amy's like, Brian, where's your phone? I'm like, oh, I left it at the house. <laughs> it's just not, it's not an appendage. It's not a leash, although it is. But the reality is there's a generation coming up. They, they get anxiety when they're not connected to something that's digital. How's that going to bode for us as we try to connect them to Christ? <clears throat> I'm just saying, these are things you've got to think about. For the first time ever, the biggest problem reported among Gen Z peers is the anxiety and depression. Statistically, 75% of Gen, Z, Gen Zers, as I'll call them, would say anxiety and depression are the greatest problem their peers face. I mean, that's, what? 75%. Now, actually, this, is in 2000, this statistic I'm quoting you was taken in 2018. Today, it's higher because of COVID and all the other things that they've gone through being socially isolated. <clears throat> now, that's ahead of bullying, drug and alcohol addiction, poverty, pregnancy, gang activity, and all those other things. The things we were worried about in the 80s, right? Uh, what's her face, uh, Mrs. Reagan? Just don't, what was it? Say no to drugs. Drugs. just say no. <coughs> then that other president came and said, don't inhale. No, I mean, just kidding. <laughs> <coughs> They're still using that one. But anyway, <laughs> that was funny. I'm just saying. <laughs> say no to drugs, right? That was the thing though, right? Drugs, gangs, a gang, it was, it was a killing field in the eighties. I mean, the drug trade was raging and it was dangerous out on the streets, and uh, and so uh, especially in the urban areas. And so uh, I get it. I mean, I mean, we had experience with that, not because we were doing drugs, but it was crazy. It affected our culture. Gen Z is the first generation that didn't need their parents and their grandparents to to gain legacy. What I call it, legacy information. This is my own definition. Legacy information would be like. You know, hey, Dad, how do I change the oil in the car? Or, hey, what's your thoughts on getting in the stock market? Or, hey, what do you think about cryptocurrency? Or, hey, what do you think about buying a house? Or, hey, how do I make that, Mom? Or, how do I sew that? Or, how do I, you can just imagine, why? why? Because they've had a device in their hands since the time they're 11. It tells them anything they want to know. Like Daniel says, right? Knowledge is increasing. You've got more knowledge than any other generation in the ever. That, that affects things. And that the Word of God doesn't change. Jesus doesn't change. There's nothing that's caught Jesus off guard. So I'm just saying, these are things that we need to be considering and we will consider as we go forward. This, first, this is the first generation that no longer needs to go to their parents for information about how to live life. They can simply search it and watch it on a video, read an article, Siri, right? How do we do this? How do we do that? And that'll con- certainly contribute to what is recorded in Malachi chapter 4, right? There's a reason that Jesus has to return to restore the relationship between the fathers and the sons, and the sons and the fathers. Because there's going to be a wedge continually driven between the generations. And I know many of you who have children know that, or grandchildren know that. And you wonder, how did these kids get these values? These are not the values of our family. This isn't even the values of our community. This hasn't been our values ever. How did they come out like that? Maybe we're finding out. Now this isn't. I'm not. I'm not railing against it. This is reality, guys. This is. We're talking about seven realities of HBF. So I'm just giving you a little reality to start us off. That's why Marxists have leveraged technology heavily to to manipulate the minds of the young. Man, if Stalin and Mao and Pol Pot would have had this these devices, woo. But Mr. Ping does. Today, it's so much more sophisticated. All right, the last statistic I'll give you that's not positive, this is alarming. Probably of all the things that really kind of, some of this, I'm like, yeah, it makes sense, makes sense. This is just, this is hard to swallow, is that seventh one. You know, 20.8% of Gen Zers identify as LGBTQ. Wow. The fact, that's, I mean, that's a lot. That's not 10 percent. That's 20 percent. So when you line up, uh, if you're under 25 years old, statistically, how many are you under 25? Just raise your hand real quick. Not very many of you. We need more of you. All right, we got quite a few though. I think we got 10. That would mean that, out of, if I took all, t- if there were 10 or 20 here, you know, two to four of them would have a have a different version of what sexual the Bible the biblical sexual identity is. I was born that way. No, somebody taught you that. We were born sinners for sure. The fact that that many young people are either confused about their sexuality or already pursuing a path to gender dysphoria or some sexual perversion is more alarming and underscores the searing of the conscience of this generation. I got a I got a guy over here in the E-Wing, Mitch. He's he's all excited about this generation. He is like, man, this these are the disciples. They're not the future. They're the now. We got to invest in them now. I'd have to say he's right. We better figure this out for our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids. We better have a church in the heart of America with a heart for people that gets gets this stuff down. So we know how to reach people where they're at and take them where they need to go. Now, there's some good things about Gen Z, too, by the way. A lot of great things. They're very intelligent. Gen Z also has very interesting things uh, that they add. They are the first generation in probably over 100 years that reads primarily for pl- pleasure instead of, of learning alone. They actually enjoy that. And when I was talking about creativity, I, I forgot the number, I lost the stat in all my research, but there's a statistic that is, is voluminous amounts of data that's out on the Internet have come from, the, from people that are like the average age of 15 years old. Very good creative literature. I mean, this is like a renaissance of creativity that the world hasn't seen being tapped into to these young, these young Gen Z folks, because they're taking storylines that traditionally we, we kind of had in a box, and they're blending them together, they're mixing them, they're, creating, they're all digital, they're thinking about all these things and creating their own, new, their own new stories. They're creating their own stories, which is okay. Another interesting thing is that they, they want to travel. Uh, they're good at writing, they're good at reading oftentimes, and they want to travel. And I look at that and I think, man, what does the church need? Boy, couldn't we use some people that know how to communicate with other Gen Zers and that want to travel? I got I mean, my daughter's like, I want to go to Oaxaca. Sam's not fighting me to go somewhere either. We got young people that are like ready to go. Any young people want to go see the world? You don't need to go in the military. Just join this army. We'll get you where you need to go. Well, it's good to join the military, Cassie. <laughs> but I'm just saying, we are in a battle. We're in a battle. So Gen Z has some interesting things, and I didn't put enough of them. There's a lot of wonderful things that God is doing in that generation. And so I have noticed over the years that, you know, every generation has angst against the next, both downward and upward, right? So... All the Gen Xers were all mad at the baby boomers for being consumers. And then the millennials are mad at the whatever, and the, at, the, at the Xers. The Xers are mad at the millennials. I don't know. Everybody's, you know, whatever. Hey, people are people. Nothing new under the sun. It's just the way it works. But there are some unique things at this time in history that as we look at the seven realities, I, I guarantee you things are not the same today socially. Even though God's word hasn't changed and God's plan hasn't changed and God's will hasn't changed, There's a lot going on in our culture that's changing, and we definitely need to be aware of that. If you have your Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 28. Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 28. Proverbs 25 and verse 28. In 2006, the megachurch movement, as I mentioned, and corporate Christianity was under attack. The emergent movement raged. And it was the thing. It's already come and gone. The movement's uh, no longer even really, you know, there. But uh, we're left with an even more a- a- anemic, disappointed, and disillusioned church that doesn't understand who Christ is or what he's called them to be and do. And I'm here this morning uh, to lament, or not, I'm not here this morning to lament uh, and cry over the past, but I'm here to bring these things up so that we can go forward in faith. We are here to be who God saved us to be so we can accomplish that which God has saved us to do according to His power and His grace. So in Proverbs chapter 25, and verse 28, the Bible says this, and this is a very simple passage. He says, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down without walls. There was a time when Israel had its chief city, Jerusalem, broken down without walls. And there's a, there's a problem when the city's got no walls. That means the adversary can just come over at his own will and his own whim. The first thing Nehemiah did, right, when he wanted to see worship established uh, was, was build the walls around the temple in Jerusalem. He built the walls in Jerusalem so worship could commence because it was God's will. Listen, beloved, that's what we're here to do is worship. And if, we're not, if we don't have rule over our own spirit, if we don't understand who we are and we don't know what God is trying to do in our lives, if we're not disciplined... Like a soldier, if we don't understand what God is teaching us to do so that we can stand fast on the faithful word, we're not going to be of any use in this spiritual war. We've really got to make discipleship a priority, as we've already talked about. Both the world and the Christians have been overrun by the spirit of this age. And in 2006, there was great skepticism about institutions like governments and schools and all of those things. That's only increased in the past several years and now includes corporations that are in collusion with businesses, Uh, to harness technology to make merchandise to the world's population, and also governments who desire to use technology to control the populace. Uh, And that's all a cocktail that will certainly play into the hands of what's yet to come. But in the meantime, confidence in traditional monetary systems like the U.S. dollar, the Federal Reserve, and the banking system are giving way to cryptocurrency movements, and nobody knows where that's going to go. So this continues to drive people away from tangible assets to technology. And that's exactly where they'll need to be when the devil takes them captive at his will. So in 2022, stuff is simply in 2022, stuff simply as is not as important as it was in 2006. People are needing peace of mind and heart more than ever, right? The Gen Z kids, 75 plus percent of them, are not looking for a new toy. They're looking for peace of heart and peace of mind. Anxiety is driving them crazy. Depression. Who knew what depression even was? In the previous generations, I mean, it was not even a thing. I'm just down, you know. And I'm saying there, people haven't always dealt with depression. But man, 75 plus percent anxiety. We all dealt with those things. I get it. But something is going on. <clears throat> There's a thing now among Gen Zers, which is interesting, called called cottage core. It's one one name uh, of of it, one way to describe it. And through the lockdown, this thing increased. And what it was was basically a nostalgic view of the past where uh, folks in that generation would take, uh, take and look back on things and, and want more traditional lifestyles like baking and creating in, in a simple way that was romanticized. Of course, um, they wouldn't really want that. They, they don't want to live in a little cottage in the woods without Wi-Fi. <laughs> right? <laughs> because how would you find your recipe? I mean, come on, you got to, but you know what I'm saying. Ideally, ideally, that's, that's kind of, it's this romantic notion of, of what was, right? Uh, they really do want a washer and dryer, I promise. And uh, they don't really want to do their laundry by hand. But all of those things are romanticized, which is cool. It's a more simple life. It, what it is, is simplicity. And you know, one of the things that we need to be providing is simplicity through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be beguiled from the simplicity That's in Christ. That affluent society in Corinth was being warned by Paul. Don't be beguiled from the simplicity that's in Christ. And that brings me to the series that we're getting into today. In 2006, I asked this question. How much stuff can we accumulate before we figure out that our joy is not found in the things we possess, but the one who possesses us? It's my heartfelt desire that when real people are looking for real solutions and meaning in life, they run to you. right? They run to us. Real authentic Christians who have a real relationship with God that can show them by example how to face the real battles of life. It's my prayer that this body is an army of real ministers who rise to be real leaders, not only at church, but in the home and the community, who are consecrated to the point that by the grace of God, we trust God to use us in real spiritual war zones of our culture to make impact and eternity that would even change the culture. That was from 2002 or 2006. And it's still true today in 2002. Today, I'm not sure people even want to deal with reality, to be honest with you. Running to real battles doesn't resonate with the souls of men like it used to. But God has called us in, in, in nonetheless to be part of a real battle. And it's a battle for souls. And it's something significant, something that goes beyond this life and goes into eternity. Part of the issue today is not knowing, uh, is not knowing what to do, but really why to do it. We've got to have the want to. Where do you get the want to? The want to comes from God. It's his want to being our want to. He's got to give us a want to to follow him for his honor, for his glory. There's nothing more authentic than trusting God for real eternal results in a world that's phony as a $3 bill. Now, in Genesis 1.26, I was going to have you turn there for time's sake. I'm just going to read it. You know the passage. It says, "...and God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let us have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth." and over every creeping thing that creepeth on the earth. And you're familiar with this passage. But this passage speaks not only to being fruitful, multiplying and replenishing the earth and subduing it, or, or, or replenishing the earth, but to subduing it. And God created Adam and Eve and placed him in the garden. He says, you know what? You guys need to subdue this thing. I've given you these blessings, but you got you got to do something with that. You've got to subdue it. You've got to take control of that thing. This passage speaks not only to that fruit, but to the need to subdue. And it's not... Uh, if you have noticed, individuals in, in our culture um, are breaking free from the influence of the Holy Spirit of God. What really causes us to, to keep the wheels on the wagon is not us. It's the Spirit of God. It's the Word of God. It's the influence of Christ in a culture. And, and you know what? When this happens and people are not under the influence, I don't mean under the influence of alcohol or the influence of drugs. I'm talking about the influence of Christ. It's not God's fault. It's ours. It's ours. And we need to be serious about praying about that. Why are people not under the influence of Christ? Now, I'm giving you some reasons why. Those are some of the symptoms. But how do we overcome it? You can sit around. I can sit around all day as a pastor and complain. And that's what a lot of Baptist preachers do. You point out all the bad things. And then you just rail about it. And everybody's mad and they go home. That doesn't fix the problem. Because the key to this thing is love. Charity never fails. We've got to love God and love people. The great commandment never fails. And we got to offer that great invitation. The great invitation never fails. And so hating technology is not going to win anybody who's attached to it to Christ. You're going to have to use it if you, want to, if you want to get people saved. That's all there is to it because that is the way they communicate. You may not like it. You may want to change it. It doesn't change the fact that if you're going to meet people where they are, that is where they are in large part, not just, not just Gen Zers and not just millennials. So, we got to understand that we got to get a hold of this thing. We got to make sure the Spirit of God is working in us so it works in others. It's not God's fault. It's our fault. It's my fault. We can't allow technology to keep us from the power of God's Holy Spirit. The Bible is the best kept secret in social media. And I've known that for even when it first came out. I remember sitting in my office many, many years ago before I was a pastor, I was sitting there. At the Fagan Company, I had the big screens going. Back then, that was a cool thing, having these big monitors so I could do my drafting. Had all that stuff going, and the Internet was new. And, uh, man, the volume of information and how fast our business was changing, information had to be there like this. It was extremely stressful for me trying to get all these drawings turned around in record time. You know, so you could, it was all money time. You guys know the deal. It's just a treadmill. And, uh, and so you're doing all of that, and uh, I realized this is a flood of information. Floods of information. How do you get the gospel through a flood, a torrent of information? And then God said, well, Brian, I've given you a sharp two-edged sword. It'll pierce. It'll pierce right through all of that and go right to the heart of the matter. The thing is not to worry about all the other messaging. It's to be focused on the message that you possess and to get it to the hearts of people. And beloved, the thing that people are dying for today is face-to-face relationship. And we have, the church is uniquely equipped to deliver the very thing the culture is longing for. And that's a relationship, not just with people, but with God. And we've got to know our Bibles so that we can share our Bibles, because everything you say is going to be looked up and checked. And it's not just what you know, it's what we live. It's got to be authentic. It's got to be real. Our people are going to find you out, right? And so we got to be the real thing. And I guarantee you, if we are the real thing, look out—it'll turn the world upside down. So we are salt and we are light. Matthew five thirteen says, "Ye are salt of the earth." And, and if the salt have lost its savor, wherein shall it be salted? It is there. It is th- uh, thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under foot. First Timothy three fifteen says, "But if I tarry long." What are we to be doing? If God waits a while before the rapture, I mean, I thought it was going to happen yesterday, and then I thought it was the week before, and surely it's today. But what if? What if he tarries a little longer? What if I tarry tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the culture? No, it doesn't say that, does it? What is the thing that we're to be focused on? We know how to behave ourselves within the context of our own culture. The house of God. Now, we don't want to be like the Mennonites, in, or the, uh, excuse me, not the Mennonites, the uh, Amish, I should say, rather. Well, the Mennonites, do some of them. No offense to Mennonites. They are our Baptist brothers. But, or this hyper-legalistic Baptist, right? You, you got We'll get in the, in the wagon, circle them up, and everybody outside's bad. Everybody inside is good. There's nothing that smells of a cult like that. No, no, not at this church. We're going to engage the culture where they are. But what we got to do is know how to behave ourselves in the household of God, right? In the house of God, rather, is what it says, which is the church of the living God, the ecclesia, the, the pillar and ground of the truth. It's not the internet. It's not social media. It is not the latest thing on the, on the, in technology. It is the words of God. We have the words of God, and we're one of the, the few churches that actually believes that we've got the words of God in our language. That God has preserved his word for us. And we actually publish the words of God. We do, we're doing those things that God wants us to do because God wants to open up doors that no man can shut, even in Laodicea. So let me give you a look at where we're going to go real quick. I'm going to get over this and then we'll be done. I'm a minute over. But the seven realities that we'll be looking at is that we're going to be dealing with real, authentic people from all walks of life. We'll be talking about that next week. And how we as real Christians, real, authentic Christians, uh, need to be obedient. We need to resemble Christ. And uh, and, uh, reflect diversity, reproduce spiritually, respond cheerfully. We'll talk about that. We'll we'll be talking about real relationships that reach people. I've already touched on that. The real battles, I've already touched on that. How we engage in... in, When I say real battles, I'm not talking about going out here. You don't have to get in the octagon and go to war with anybody physically. Unless you just want to, I'll come watch. But anyway, uh, (laughs) I mean, what I'm talking about is spiritual battles. Ministry. Okay, so everyone's clear. Whoever's watching on the internet doesn't misunderstand what I'm talking about. I'm talking about engaged in ministry that matters, right? Uh, and, and that's what we want to be engaged in. We want to be real ministers doing real, engaging in real battles. And we want to, when we do that, man, we'll see people really becoming delivered through the power of God. And God will, will draw real ministers into real battles. And when that happens, people who really want to serve God and they get engaged in real battles, you know what they end up becoming? real leaders. They become real leaders. They get their nose bent a few times, you know, get whacked on the head a little bit and realize this is a real battle. I thought this was church. (laughs) Steve's laughing because he knows what I'm talking about. (laughs) And uh, you know what happens? You develop into a real leader. And you'll follow Jesus where he tells you to go. And you'll do what he tells you to do. And you'll be fruitful because you're faithful. And the last thing, of course, is impacting real war zones, which gets us into uh, not going necessarily to a, a, a real war zone unless God calls us there, although we do understand there's a lot of need. Like right now, we have people we're supporting uh, next door to real war zones. Be praying for the Howies right now. I mean, right now. Uh, and, and Kel Horvath. I mean, they're all dealing with the, the the influx of a real war. So when God's really got a couple, you know, What's going on in Europe? I'll be talking about this Wednesday night. Come back Wednesday night. We'll talk more about it in length. But what's going on in Europe, uh, when that's going on, these are principalities and powers, spiritual weakness in high places, a lot of things we could talk about geopolitically. But what we know spiritually is God's working. How do we know that? Because the devil's working. It's God versus the devil. And who needs to be there? Real Christians. Real Christians. And so uh, we need to be there giving the gospel. And there are real Christians there, by the way. God's doing a good work. So continue to pray for that. So we'll be looking at this, these seven realities and how that affects Heartland in the next, uh, in the next several weeks. So if you're going to be successful, if I'm going to be successful in accomplishing the Great Commission, we must reach real people where they live. So next week, reality number one is going to be real. Authentic people must be found in real churches. And we'll talk about how everyone is wanted, everyone is welcome, and everyone is, is one. So this morning, do you know, do you know, do you know, how to behave yourself in the house of God, right? Because if the Lord tarries his coming, you need to know that. And if you don't know, we got a plan for you. First, it starts with salvation. By the way, next week we're having baptisms. There's two people scheduled for baptism. If you need to get saved, get saved. If you need to get baptized, get baptized. That's where it starts. But if you're a member of this church, or maybe you're not a member of this church, you're like, Brian, I want to know the next step. Hey, you know what? Uh, you can sign up for discipleship. We'll get you going in a Bible study that'll help you understand more about salvation, eternal life, um, uh, the ordinances of the baptism of the Lord's Supper, the Holy Ghost, the Word of God, uh, the, the, uh, the prayer, uh, the, and all of those things. There are a lot of things there. I'm going to mess myself up. But anyway, um, you can get started in discipleship. But make sure you know how to behave yourself in the house of God. And if you're just like, okay, you've got my interest. I will come back. Well, good come back for the next several weeks. You need to hear every one of these messages because it's not just what we do. It's not just telling you information factoids. This is who we are to accomplish the mission. And where there is no vision, people perish. God has given us a season of peace here at Heartland right now so we can just enjoy life, kick back and and get in the rowboat and roll around. No, he hasn't done that. He's given us some time off, so to speak. He's given us a season of peace. Why? Why? Because we always got to prepare for war. Remember what Abraham did? That's what Abraham was doing when he was tending the sheep. He was preparing trained servants so that they were ready when the battle came. Beloved, we need to be ready. We need to be ready this week with the gospel. Are you ready right now to share the gospel? Can you go to lunch and share it with the, with the, the waitress? Can you tell her how to be saved? Can you tell him how to be saved? The waiter, can he know how to get to heaven through your life? Is it an authentic life? Do you have a way to connect them to the church? Hey, man, you need to come to Heartland and be a member. Well, oh, that's great. Are you a member? Well, no. Well, maybe you need to start looking at that. You need to get saved. Are you saved? Well, no. Well, then get saved, right? you gotta, you got to be what it is you're trying to get other people to be. you got to walk that road. you got to be a disciple. you got to follow Jesus. Or not free country. But, beloved, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to follow Jesus, and I want you to follow him, too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity just to consider how to behave ourselves in the house of God. Lord, if you tarry your coming, Lord, may we be about your business. May we we be making disciples that are really engaged, that are really authentic, that are real Christians, that are dealing with real relationships, that are dealing with real battles, that are becoming real ministers, that turn into real leaders, that impact real uh, war zones, that are spiritual all over the planet. Lord, may we be ready to take the gospel anywhere and everywhere you call us to support those that are there. Lord, to send the Bibles there, to send the people there, to send the prayers there, most importantly. Oh, Heavenly Father, may we be all about reaching Cass County so that we can reach the world. Lord, make us who you saved us to be so we can accomplish that which you saved us to accomplish. Lord, help us to be able to leverage the things that the devil means for evil, for good. Help us to turn the uh, the things that Uh, are deceptive into things that reveal the truth. Lord, give us wisdom. Help us to be wiser than our teachers. Help us to, to, uh, Lord, scale the walls of that defense city and cast down the strength thereof. Lord, I pray, God, that our own walls would be built and that we would be prepared to worship you on a daily basis. Lord, thank you and praise you for this time in your word. I pray a blessing to the hearing and the the reading of the scripture today. And I ask a blessing on this series in Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around. As we uh, conclude in a time of prayer, I just quickly want to Ask if God's been calling you. I had some young lady tell me last week that God was calling her. She knew that God was calling her to be saved. Is there someone this morning that's under the sound of my voice and God is calling you? He's Literally, he's pressing it upon your heart. Maybe it's not an audible voice, but he is like pressing upon you to be born again. You need to, you need to answer the call. I mean, you need to say yes, Lord. Is there anyone that would say, Brian, that's me. I, I, need to, I need to respond to this call. I need to be saved. Anyone at all? To my left, in the middle, to my right hope everybody here can say they're saved. Let's stand in an attitude of prayer. If you're saved this morning, you know the Lord. Praise God. If you're a church member, uh, if you're someone who's just a guest, we're glad that you're here. You say, Brian, I just need some prayer. Anybody want to need some prayer? Amen. Let's have a word of prayer, and we will prepare to uh, move along with the service. Heavenly Father, I pray for these that raise their hands, Lord. I pray, Lord, for your church. I pray, God, for everything that you are and what you're doing. Help us to think upon the things that we've heard today, to meditate upon them. Give ourselves holy uh, to the word of God. Thank you for what we have. Lord. We have a lot of knowledge. Uh, we have a lot of opportunity. Uh, Lord, uh, we have even a lot of resources in so many ways. Uh, Lord, we always want more. We always need more. But Lord, at the end of the day, we've got everything in Christ. And Lord, as the world changes and things are different, so different from 16 years ago, so different from even six years ago, or what is not different is you. Lord, the word of God has not changed. The household of God, the house of God has not change in regard to who we are and what we're here to accomplish. Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray God that we'd be faithful with your word, with your mission until you come. Lord, I pray God that you would call every generation, uh, Lord, to continue to work in your ministry to accomplish your mission and your power for your glory. Whether it be many or few, Lord, I pray God that we'd be faithful, that we'd be authentic, and that we'd be most effectual. We just thank you and we praise you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated.